Hey, happy Father's Day out there to all you dads today. I just want you to know today, you are so blessed. You are a blessed, blessed man because of the people in your life. Take this opportunity to reach out to your families. This is a great day to celebrate family. Hey, listen, turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Last week, we did two chapters looking over Acts 13 and 14, learning about that first missionary journey where the Holy Spirit sent out Paul and Barnabas to a two-year journey from Cyprus all the way to Galatia, being about the mission and the message of Jesus. Come on, let's watch that missionary journey again, starting in Antioch, moving all the way around, retracing steps, two years later, getting all the way back to Antioch. That's where we're gonna pick up in this story. Because what I want you to see is this, even though on this journey right here, they were able to see many people saved. They were able to start a lot of churches. What they also faced was a lot of opposition. And the opposition got so fierce in this one place that their younger follower, their younger disciple, John Mark, ends up quitting and abandoning the mission. And here they are, two years later, coming back home. And that's where I want us to pick up right here in the story. Actually, I told you 15. Let's go back to 14 and let's look again at how they finish this story. Verse 26. It says, from Italia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the whole church together. Imagine that. Everybody's gathered in that one room together. And they reported all that God had done through them and how God, look at this phrase, how he had opened the door of faith to not just reach Jewish people anymore, but to reach Gentiles, non-Jews. And they ended up staying there a long time with the disciples. I want you to see it again. Come on. God opened the door. God opened the door. The door. Now, I gotta, I gotta show you this because I want you to see this, what happened here in this moment is that God opened up the door, right? And, and for the Jewish people to this point, they needed to begin seeing that salvation wasn't just for the Jews. Now, I think they knew that, yet they weren't real comfortable or they weren't really that convinced that the mission was gonna send them that far, that wide to reach people unlike themselves. Yet God opened the door, right? God opened the door. And what it took is, it took the church scattering, right? To finally go where it didn't wanna go. You see, they wanted to stay in Jerusalem where things were comfortable, yet God didn't want the mission to stop there. He wanted it to start there. And so now what does he do? He scatters the church where they begin to move outward and where they begin to become uncomfortable with the unknown. And that's where I want us to pick up today as we think about this move of God in the story. Now, listen to me. As I thought about this whole deal of scattering, right now maybe your life still feels scattered because of this whole Thing that we've been in for the last three months going on four now. Maybe even right now as you think about the church, we're still scattered in the sense that we are not physically meeting here at the Mount. Yet for us, 
even in the scattered place, doesn't mean we can't make a difference. But the key is, we simply have to pivot. We have to pivot. Maybe we're not gonna do it the way we've always done it. It's gonna look a little bit different. Now, this is where I want us to pick up. Now go to chapter 15, and let's begin here in verse 36. Look at, look at the word of God here. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and visit. Visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord, and let's see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John. John, who's also called Mark, he wanted to take him again. Paul, he said he didn't think that was wise to take him because he deserted them in Pamphylia and he had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas, he took John Mark and he sailed to Cyprus and Paul He chose Silas and he left and he was commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord and he went to Syria and Cilicia, strengthening all the churches. Now, can we just say out loud together? Relationships are messy. Come on, who can testify this today? Parents, look at your kids right now. Relationships are messy messy. Come on, kids, look at your parents right now. Relationships are messy. Come on, look at your spouse. Don't say that one. Just think about that one. But listen to me. We get this. And here we are right now in this moment. And I want you to see it. We have two godly men, Paul and Barnabas, two guys that love Jesus, two guys that are committed to the mission and the message. And yet all of a sudden, they, they have a disagreement and it leads them to what? To part ways. <laughs> we can even say this. It leads them to slam the door on their relationship. Isn't that interesting? That's what happens sometimes. But this is actually a pivot moment for the church. What's gonna happen when the two leaders leading the mission decide to part ways? What's gonna happen to the mission? Is it gonna keep on Moving forward, and and what I want us to do is I want us to look at this conflict. I want us to look at what's happening here with these both men. Because I believe something here is that Barnabas, he, he wants to take John Mark again along on the second journey. And Paul's the one that steps up and says, no, 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 I don't think that's good. I don't think that's good. He quit on us. Don't you remember? We can't get out there and get in the middle of this and him quit again. And all of a sudden, this is the tension. This is the tug of war, right? Now, again, we don't know why he quit. We don't know if he was scared. We don't know if he got sick. We don't know if he got homesick. We don't know if he got angry. We don't even know if he's unwilling. All we know is that what? He quits. And that's enough for Paul to say, we're not gonna go there again. When I started thinking about this idea I thought about an, an illustration I could share with you. L- let, me say, let me say it this way. H- how many of you, how many of you uh, out there have ever helped somebody move? <laughs> have you ever had to help somebody move? Listen, can I just tell you inwardly, privately, secretly, I would love to have a truck. I would love to drive a truck. But can I just tell you again, there's one reason why I'm never gonna buy a truck. You know why? 
Because every friend in my life will always call me and need me every time they're moving. Now, that sounds so selfish, doesn't it? It does, but, but listen, there's nothing worse than trying to help move. Have you ever had to move furniture upstairs? Have you ever had to move it like in an apartment area? Listen, furniture that's always a little bit bulky and awkward and heavy, and, and it's always these hard areas that you're trying to work in. Listen, when you're moving furniture upstairs, it's gonna take teamwork to be able to maneuver all the way up. Matter of fact, uh, many of you probably are from my generation. Did you ever watch Friends? There is an episode on Friends where Ross and Rachel are trying to maneuver a couch upstairs. And I don't know if you remember, but you remember the code word, the word that was said in that series? Here it is. Pivot, pivot, pivot. Well, listen, that's exactly what I've titled this series. Because we're in the middle of months of just crazy mess. And we're learning how to pivot. Today, specifically, I've titled the message, The Pivot of Perspective. And I want us to look closer here because that's exactly what I see going on right now between Paul and Barnabas. They're both right here watching and seeing the exact same thing, but yet they're seeing it from a different perspective. Did you think about this? Let's just look at Paul. Paul, Paul looks at this situation and says, what can, what can John Mark, what can John Mark do for God's mission? What can John Mark do for God's mission? Think about that. What can you do for God's mission? That's what he's asking. And yet Barnabas is looking at the exact same thing and seeing it from the situation. What can God's mission do for John Mark? Think about that. Same thing but seeing it different, seeing it different. I might even push you a minute and ask the question as we're looking at these two different situations and, and they're two different perspectives is what's more important, growing the mission of God as Paul sees it or growing the person through the mission of God? What's more important? Is it accomplishment or is it encouragement? Come on, who's right? Is it Paul or Barnabas? Who's right? It's both of them. They're both right. It's just a matter of perspective. Do you see this yet? I want us to see this pivot here because it's showing us once again that relationships are messy because they always involve another perspective. This is what's happening in this church. I might even say it this way. Relationships are messy even in church. Or relationships are messy especially in church. Is that not true? And yet, and yet in these moments, we need to trust the pivot, the pivot of perspective. This conflict leads two spiritual leaders to walk away from one another and Barnabas and John Mark, they sail back to the island of Cyprus and Paul and Silas begin to go on to that second missionary journey. I want to show you this. Watch this. Antioch's here and the, Paul and Barnabas, actually Barnabas and John Mark go back here and then all of a sudden we see this long duration of where Paul goes on his second missionary journey. Now, why, why am I pointing that out? Because if you follow the rest of Acts, you're going to continue to watch that trail 
of Paul because that's what the writer Luke decides to record that follows that path instead. Now, I think the only joy that I can see here about two brothers going two separate ways is at least the missionary movement multiplies. I guess that could be the silver lining here. Instead of one missionary journey, you now have two. We could celebrate that. Matter of fact, let me push for a minute here. Talking about our modern current situation, is it too soon before we can start to see some silver lining in what we're currently facing? Come on, what would be the silver lining so far with COVID-19? What would be the silver lining right now with all the racial unrest and pain that we're currently feeling and experiencing? What could be the silver lining that law enforcement and police departments could experience coming together with communities and trying to get stronger again? What could be the silver lining of churches that now feel a little bit divided and trying to fall under the unity of being a church under the banner of Jesus Christ? Is it too soon for us to begin to see the good that could come out of the hard things that we're currently walking through? Listen, I wonder this as a pastor, how we can grow as Christians where we begin to look at anything and everything through the lens of Jesus and our faith. That we could begin to look at anything that we're facing in this world through the lens of the kingdom of God first. Because I just happen to believe that when we begin to see, when we begin to understand our Christian identity, and we begin to see our Christian identity as mattering the most, I believe our racial identity and other people's racial identity will also be valued. I love what Tony Evans says. He says that your Christianity must define your racial identity without denying it. Come on, the Bible tells us that all things exist for Christ. And that even includes our ethnic heritage. Listen, Paul doesn't shrink back on the tension of his day. And we can see their intention too. Do you know that the hurt and the hate and the tension of the days of the Bible is Jew versus Gentile? Now, there was a lot of tugging in between those racial uh, uh, captions and options and things that were happening there. And I want you to see this because when we come to Christ, we surrender all, we submit all of our whole lives to Jesus for the sake of the gospel but Paul never denied his ethnicity. He never denied his heritage as a Jew when he was reaching out to Gentiles who were non-Jews. No, what did he do instead? He leveraged it. He leveraged it. Although the Jew-Gentile divide cannot be compared to the black and white history of our country, there's still in the Bible racial dynamics, racial divisions, among Jews and Gentiles. And Paul did not deny those dynamics. Instead, he leaned into them. Matter of fact, he was writing to one church talking about how we sacrifice and surrender to others so that others can know. And what does he say? He says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 22. He says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all of this 
for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. Come on, you know what that is? There's a pivot of perspective there. There's a pivot of perspective. Now, as I shared, Luke's gonna continue the journey of Paul, but before we go forward with Paul, I thought today, today would be a good day for us for us to retrace the role of the person of Barnabas. And in this role of Barnabas being kind of a co-pilot, kind of being a wingman to Paul, I want you to see something. Matter of fact, Warren Wearsby, the great writer, talks about Barnabas being a hinge person. Here's what he says. He says, behind many outstanding men and women in history are individuals who are hinge people. Just like, just like on a door, you got a hinge, right? He says it's important to have hinge people in our lives. You see, these persons are ones that actually open the doors for others, helping move people on the road of encouragement. I want you to see this, this idea of achievement, right? Sometimes these achievers that they open the door for surpass them by going further with that extra push that came from that encourager. We call them hinge people. Now, let me give you a modern word. We call them mentors, people that help people go forward in their journey. I wonder this right now. Can we just think about this for a minute? Who opened the door? Who opened the door for you in your life? Who's opened the door to give you opportunities? Come on, it's Father's Day. Maybe that's who opened the door for you, your father. Maybe it was a parent, your mom. Maybe it was a friend that opened up the door for you. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was a boss that took interest in you, saw your gifts, saw your passions, and they opened the door to kind of help you succeed and move even beyond their capacity. Maybe it was a neighbor. Maybe it was a teammate. Maybe it was somebody you met at church and they said, hey, I got this opportunity. I think you're perfect for it. And they opened the door for you. You see, this idea of opening the door, this idea of encouragement, I think is such a rich moment that we need to lean in on. So let's trace, let's trace and retrace this role of Barnabas. Did you know the first time Barnabas shows up in the Bible is actually in Acts chapter four, and he's got another name. The Bible talks about him in chapter four, verse 36, and it calls him the name Joseph. Joseph was a Levite from the island of Cyprus, whom the apostles, they gave him a nickname and they called him what? Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Watch what he did. He sold, sold a field that he owned, he sold some property and he brought the money and he put it, he put it right there at the apostles' feet. He gave it to the work of the church. This is so rich. Listen, the first mention of Barnabas is him generously giving to the mission of God and helping the church move forward. And then they also gives us the nickname, come on, which means son of encouragement. Is there anybody out there today that could use some encouragement? Man, our whole world right now, it seems to be filled with so much negative so much discouragement. I just think today we need some encouragement 
we, we need some Barnabas right now. Today, if you're a note taker, I'm gonna give you three hinges because the door swings off hinges. I wanna give you three hinges of encouragement that I think could be helpful for us understanding the encouragement that we could receive and that we could actually maybe share with somebody in our life. Look with me here. The first hinge, the first hinge is open hands. Come on, say that with me. Open hands. I want you to see this because the first picture we get of Barnabas is, what is he doing? What is he doing? He's generously giving his wealth, his money towards the mission of the church. He's got open hands. He's got open hands. And that gains him trust immediately in this young early church. Barnabas is somebody we can trust. Look at what he's willing to do. He's got open hands towards this mission. He believes in what's happening here and, and, and they open their hands to him. I, I, I love this, this idea of Barnabas being a giver. You know what I see in, in scripture is that encouragement is always about putting others first. Matter of fact, God has called believers to love, to build others up, and to serve others just like Jesus did. Philippians tells us what? It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Come on, Barnabas, generously open the door for others. He was a giver. Can I ask you a question? Who has given to you? Who has trusted you? Who has been open-handed to you? And then for us to evaluate our lives, are you open-handed to others? Or has right now fear gotten the best of you where you've begun to close your hands to others because you don't know what's gonna happen next? Listen, you want your life to swing on the hinge of encouragement, then let's be willing to be open-handed. Here, write this down. Number two, I want you to see this part, is that we see Barnabas also has open arms. He also has open arms. Come on, pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, listen to me. Everybody and their dog is scared of Paul when he becomes a Christ follower. They don't wanna get close to him. Now, rightfully so, if you go backwards in the story, Paul, formerly known as Saul, he was a guy that actually hunted Christians down. He caught Christians, he threw them in jail, he put them on trial, and if he could, he had them executed. One of the hardest stories that scattered the church was when one of their own members, Stephen, was drug out, put in front of this crowd of angry Leaders, Jewish leaders, and they stone Stephen to death. Come on, that's powerful. And you know who was there giving approval of that moment? It was Saul, later to become Paul. So now that guy claims he's now a believer? That sounds a little bit sus, if you know what I'm talking about. I'm not real sure about that. As a matter of fact, let's just follow scripture here. Look here, in Acts chapter nine, we get another picture of this. Acts chapter nine, verse 26. 
Paul shows up, and I'm going to ask you, who's the, who's the first person to embrace Paul? Well, here's how the story goes. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were what? Afraid of him. They weren't believing that he's really a disciple. But who does? But Barnabas. Come on. But Barnabas. Come on. Barnabas got a big old butt. Oh, yeah. No, I can't say that in church, right? Here we go. Here we go. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and how the Lord had spoken to him and how on Damascus he preached fearlessly the name of Jesus. I love it. Barnabas is willing to risk his reputation and his very own life to put his arms around Paul when nobody else would. Do you see it? Do you see it? When the church in Jerusalem heard later about the growth up in Antioch, they send Barnabas to go check it out. Barnabas goes up to Antioch to check out this move of God. And it's not just Jewish people anymore. Now it's a church filled with Gentiles, non-Jews. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 11, verse 23. It said, when he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad. He was encouraged. And he encouraged all of these believers to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. You see, Barnabas was a good man. And he was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. Come on, that's a good combination right there. Full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. What I love about Barnabas is that he is dialed in to spiritual things. He walked with God. He's full of the Spirit, which allowed him to have open arms and to extend grace to a guy named Paul long before anybody else will. But you know what he realized quickly? This church of Antioch is growing and it is bigger than just me being the leader. I'm gonna need some help. I'm gonna need some backup. So who does he go and look for and who does he go get to help him? Look at this, come on. Two verses later, right here. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, later becoming Paul, right? When he found him, he brought him to Antioch So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. I love this sentence. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. At Antioch, this merge of Jew, Gentile, this leader, Barnabas and Paul, and teaching and showing what it looks like. They're first called Christians at Antioch. Now listen to me. I want to ask Paul on that day where he broke up with Barnabas in the mission, did he forget? Did he forget when Barnabas had his arms wide open for him? Did he forget that's what Barnabas was like? That Barnabas is a guy that opens his arms and lifts people up and gives people grace when they don't even deserve it and invites people to come in to the mission and opens doors for others. Did he forget that's what Barnabas was like? Come on, can I ask you a question today? Who opened their arms to you when nobody else was willing to open their arms to you? It's the power of encouragement, isn't it? So think with me again, the hinges. What was number one again? What was number one? Come on. Open 
hands. What was number two? Open arms. Come on, I'm about to go Justin Bieber on you. Open heart. Isn't that interesting? This is exactly what Barnabas was willing to do, to open his heart to young John Mark. He was willing to forgive. He was willing to believe in him again. He was willing to trust him again. He was willing to to lay his life there so that John Mark could be restored. He opens his heart. He opens his heart. Listen, if he's gonna risk for Paul, why would he not turn around and risk for John Mark? It's who he is as an encourager. Now, the question maybe you're asking is, is would John Mark quit again? Maybe. But see, here's what Barnabas believed. God's not finished. God's not finished. God's not finished with John Mark. And if God's not, then I'm not. That's what he's showing us here. And by opening up his heart and opening up his arms, he begins to give what John Mark needed, a second chance. You see, I believe, he he believed maybe more in John Mark than John Mark believed in himself. But he's trying to show us something about who God is. I wonder this. Who who needs you to desperately believe in them today? Come on. Don't let another moment pass without you going and putting your arms around them, putting your heart around them. Listen, people need encouragement. And I'm here to see this. I want you to experience this. Listen, God is a God of second chances. And I'm just wondering today, who needs you to believe in them? to believe the best about them. Come on, go believe the best in somebody and watch how someone responds to responsibility when you simply take a step and trust and to begin again. I love it. Barnabas is willing to sacrifice his success and even his promotion for the success of someone else, his younger cousin, John Mark. Now listen, I know there was a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. And the irony of the story is this, Paul and Barnabas could agree on doctrinal issues. They could agree on theology issues. And they could go into churches that were turned upside down and they could bring peace into those situations. And yet here they are in their own conflict on their team and they can't seem to get past their own disagreement. Isn't that ironic? And yet it's in this moment of disagreement. I asked earlier who was right in the situation. Let's flip it around. Who is wrong in the situation? Because a lot of times the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And I wonder right now in this situation if Paul and Barnabas are a little bit wrong because all they can see is what they currently see. You see, it's their perspective. And they both just needed a pivot, just a, just a little bit, for them to continue together. Listen, what I do know is this, is that Paul 
had a perspective. What can John Mark do for the mission? And I know Barnabas had a perspective. What can God's mission do for John Mark? Can I ask that directly of you today? What can you do for the mission of God? And what could God's mission do in you? You see, that perspective is everything as we look at it. But what I know is this, is that God's concerned in the work as well as the workers. And in this situation, Barnabas takes young John Mark and they continue because he's willing to have open hands, open arms, and an open heart to this young disciple of Christ. It's beautiful though, isn't it? I'll say it again, God's a God of second chances. Do you believe that? God's not finished. He's not finished with you. Praise God, he's not finished with me either. There's still some work to do. Can we all agree to that today? And I want you to see, not only is God not finished with John Mark, God's not finished with Paul either. I wanna end in a really cool place. And I want you to picture this because you know what happens is we're gonna keep following the trace and the trail of Paul and we're gonna see how he goes through the rest of Acts and all that God does along the way. We're gonna see some churches begin. We're gonna see some churches get encouraged. We're gonna see the gospel preached. We're gonna see people getting saved. Do you know that two thirds of the New Testament is written by Paul? But see, God's not finished growing Paul either. This is the coolest part. In all the things that Paul wrote down, he wrote a letter to one of his youngest disciples, a guy named Timothy, right at the end of his life. Why do I know that? Because Paul knows he's about to get executed. He knows his days are numbered and he knows the end of his physical human life is about to end. And he writes these final words to young Timothy and it's so cool. I want you to see this. 2 Timothy chapter four, verse 11. He requests some things. He says, only Luke is with me, but get Mark. Get John Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Get John Mark, bring him with you because he is helpful in my ministry. Listen, we don't know when, we don't know where, but here's what we know. Barnabas and Paul get restored in their friendship and their relationship. And Paul and John Mark also get restored in their relationship. What I love about the story is this, is that Barnabas was willing to take a risk on John Mark. And all these years later, Paul's willing to open up his heart and to see John Mark as a valuable partner in ministry. It's the power of encouragement. It's the power of encouragement. As our worship team begins, I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions for us to kind of end this message together. I wanna go personal and ask, what about you right now? Listen, I know we're living in a sea of great discouragement and maybe right now, 
wherever you're watching from, you got to own that discouragement. But what if, what if you're on the edge of something here that God's wanting you to see from his living word today and it's simply a pivot, a pivot of perspective. I wonder today if God's speaking to somebody today to show you that you need to be somebody that's gonna open the door for someone else. Would you be willing? Would you be willing to be a hinge of encouragement for someone else? Would you be willing to have open hands? Would you be willing to have open arms? Would you be willing to have an open heart for someone else? I believe God's called us as Christ followers to be encouraging to a world that's discouraging. It's the mission. It's the message of Jesus Christ. Come on, who is God talking to today that's gotten so spun up in the pain of these days, so deep in the anger and the hurt of these days, and God's saying, I wanna use you to open up a door. I want you to be a hinge of encouragement when people aren't expecting that to come from you. Listen to me today. I wanna go back to the place of asking you the question, who's opened the door for you? Do you know that the Bible tells us this? That Jesus... Jesus has opened up the most important door that we'll ever walk through. The Bible tells us in John 14, 6, that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and nobody gets to the Father except through me. I want to ask you first, have you walked through that door? Because it takes faith to walk through the door that Jesus is opening. It takes surrender to walk through the door. Have you walked through the door of faith? Are you a Christian here today? Have you walked through that door? I praise God and I celebrate the story anytime and every time I can. I thank God for my neighbors that loved an unlovable teenager. I thank God that they opened the door for me so that I could meet Jesus and he could save me. I became a Christian when I was 14, and I often say I'm a first generation in terms of Christian in my family. Do you know that from that day, I longed for my dad to come to know faith? I always wanted him to just have Jesus in his heart for a second, for him to see and to believe and to finally understand what I'd found in him. Throughout the early years, I stumbled through trying to share good news with my dad. And we had some lively debates and we talked about lots and lots of things. But it literally took the darkness of about three years ago for all of us in our family to be wrecked. But that three years ago when my sister lost her life in that tragic way, it began to open up a door for me and my dad that we had never had before. And it was relational and personal. But I began to share the spiritual things that I so was praying for and longing for for his life and for his story. If you were here a few months ago, you know that I shared some news right at Easter that 
my dad was diagnosed with brain cancer and he was about to go into surgery and I felt, oh wow, what if on the other side of this, he can't speak? What if he doesn't make it on the other side of this? And I just felt this conviction. I can't talk around it. I gotta go to it. I gotta invite my dad to give his life to Jesus. And so I did, but I did it in this way. I texted him a prayer and we had talked enough that I knew when he first started hearing about Jesus as a young boy in that little Methodist church that his family would go off and on to. And so I, I, I traced the prayer all the way back to that. And then I took it all the way to the darkness of what happened in our lives. And then I took him to a place where I challenged him to confess Jesus Christ to be Lord, to be the only one that could save his soul. And that Jesus would do it if he asked him to do it, no matter what the surgery held he could have peace in knowing that he could be saved. My dad, moments later, texted back to me, son, these are perfect words for me. I'm praying these words and believing these words as I go into my surgery. I told y'all at Easter that my dad became a follower of Jesus Christ. My dad actually made it through that surgery. And I shared even a few weeks ago that I had the opportunity to drive him from Arizona back to Colorado. We had two days where we were in that car together and it was, it was powerful. I share all this because a couple days ago I got a call. That my dad passed away. There's a phrase that keeps coming to my mind that says, although there's earthly sorrow, there's now ultimate joy. When I think about my dad and my opportunity to open the door for him, it makes me wanna open the door again and again and again for the next person. You know what's so funny is here I am in a season now of grief and if that weren't enough, we're also in the middle of great uncertainty in our world and especially right here in our country. As I think about us being in the middle of these painful days in America, I find myself as a pastor of a church and I find myself with a broken heart for what's happening right now. I find myself feeling the burden of our country, of our local community, and even our church right here at the Mount. You see, I believe as Christians, we have to stay engaged in our relationship with Jesus. And we have to stay on mission and we have to stay on message of what that good news is about. And I believe we have to stay engaged with each other we need our faith community. We don't need to be divided right now. We need to be united right now and connected right now with one another. And we've got to be the people right now that can demonstrate courage to listen, to learn from another perspective. I believe in my heart right now. I believe we got to pray specifically for our black brothers and sisters 
who have experienced and who are experiencing racism. Why? Because racism is a sin, but racism is a sin that Jesus died on the cross for. And I need to know my black brothers and sisters, I need them to know that their lives are valuable. And at the same time, I believe we need to pray specifically for honorable men and women who are serving in law enforcement all around our country. Because right now, their lives and their safety are threatened as they're serving to keep our lives and our communities protected. And I believe with all my heart right now that we've got to pray for peace and unity in our church, in our community, and in our country. If we're going to preach a message about encouragement, we got to turn all these worries and fears and burdens and pain, we got to turn them upward to the Lord. Can we just close this message out with prayer? Would you join me in praying right now, wherever you're watching from, would you bow your heart? Would you bow your head? Can we just go to the Lord with this? And you know what? As I thought about my words, I don't want them to be my words. I'm gonna pray some words right out of the scriptures. I'm gonna go back first to Isaiah 61. Isaiah, the writer, is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words about what it will be like when Jesus the Messiah comes, what his ministry will be marked by. God, as we turn upward to you with these specific things in our world, in our country, and in our community, in our church, we want the spirit of the sovereign Lord to fall on us because the Lord has anointed Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent him to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness of the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. Oh God, bestow on them the crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair that the church will be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor, that they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places with long devastated, and they'll renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And God, as I pivot from that passage to another passage in the New Testament, I come to this place in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that calls us out, God, as the people of God. And just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we are all given to one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And then he says this in verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. But if one part is honored, 
every part rejoices with it. God in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus here to earth to show us the way and to become our Savior and Lord. And for him to send the other, the Holy Spirit, to now live within us, we now are your representation here on earth. And God, in our days of great discouragement, we pray for the encouragement that is found in you. And may we be the hinge that opens the door so that the world may know who Jesus Christ is. May our greatest identity be found in you and you alone. I want to pray for the person that needs to begin a relationship with you today through Jesus alone. And I want to pray for all believers today for us to pivot our perspective to the perspective of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray and believe. Amen.